Welcome to Coaching Kidlet, a podcast about writing and publishing good kidlet. We dig into various aspects of writing craft through a kidlet lens and provide inspiration and clear, actionable items to help writers like you move forward on their kidlet writing journeys. I'm Christy Yaros, author, accelerator, certified book coach, and author focusing on middle grade and young adult. I'm Sharon Skinner, author, accelerator, certified book coach, and author of speculative fiction and kidlet including picture book, middle grade, and young adult. I know that we have talked about have topic for tonight, which is really um, what are the basic things that you need to know going in? What, what kinds of things do we see regularly that people don't quite have a grasp on uh, what they may or may not understand how to do or maybe not uh, do well when they first start writing for kids. Yes, and there are many that I think I probably did when I first started, not knowing what I was getting myself into. And it really can waste a lot of your time if you don't know who you're writing for, what category you're writing for, what age group you're writing for, and, and what the conventions that go with writing for those things are. And in that respect, it's the same as writing for adults, except for it's sliced and diced a little bit differently because you have the, the target age groups to deal with, as well as the uh, category or genre that you're, you're writing in. But depending on the age range, it's handled differently. Right. And there are just kind of formula, not formulas per se, but things that you would expect to see in a middle grade horror or a middle grade mystery and something you would expect to see in a YA romance, just like you would in adult books. And I personally, if you're promising me a romance and I don't get my romance, I'm not gonna be happy. Well, and that's pretty standard, right? You know, we don't, we, it's the, the premise and the promise, the promise and the premise. You set people up for certain expectations, to, no matter what you're writing. If you're writing in fantasy, you know, you set some expectations that there will be something fantastical that happens in that. And if it's high fantasy, then, well, of course, there'll be some sort of elves or, you know, trolls or, you know, swords and sorcery and that sort of thing. It really, you know, there's different types of fantasy. So that can also be sliced and diced differently. I think when you get into the kids arena, you are having to take a lot more things into consideration because of the fact that you are targeting ages and, you know, you have a, a background in educational materials for kids and you know that there's a lot of difference between writing for first graders and writing for fourth graders. There really is. And it's not just, you know, uh, word length. It's what, what concepts do you understand as a first grader? A first grader is how tall? What is the world that they can see from the level that they're at? It's not the same world that a fifth grader, that a ninth grader, that an adult would see. They notice things that we don't notice and they don't notice things <laughs> that, that we do notice. And how do you take the, ex the experiences of someone who's only been alive for five years or seven years or 10 years and frame a story ar around that? And how do you convey it to them in a way that you can give them something they haven't experienced, but in a way that they can still relate to it, understand it and be able to read 
the words, not to say that you talk down. I mean, we never talk down to our child audience, right. but we right. need to make it accessible and give them a way into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you, you brought up a, a point just a minute ago about the early mistakes that, that you made. And, you know, we all do. This is something that, you know, we talk about because you can't be an expert at something automatically when it comes to writing kidlet or a lot of things, we have to start at the beginning and learn before we can do it well. So in that respect, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the mistakes we made early on when we started <laughs> writing Kidlet. Do, do we have to? <laughs> well, you know, it's, if we're going to talk about, yeah. you know, I, the yeah. kinds of things, let's start with ourselves. Sure. Well, actually, the first time I wrote Kidlet, I did not know that that's what I was writing. I was a creative writing major in college and I wrote a story for one of my classes and my teacher came to me and she was like, this is a great young adult novel that you, you know, you're starting here. And I was like, okay, great. What's a young adult novel? I didn't really read a lot of those things when I was in high school, but she handed me speak by Laurie House Anderson. And she was like, you need to read this. And I was like, okay, first, this is amazing. And second, yeah, I guess I write YA. And why is a little easier when I went for my MFA and we had to write picture books? <laughs> I thought they were fantastic. I looked at them a couple months ago because that was, it's been 10 years since I graduated and they're really bad. I was going to say, there's a difference between writing a picture book and writing a good picture. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? Trust me, I know. I know. And, and I think part of it too was at that time, my daughter was seven, eight years old. And so it was, oh, look at this cute thing that happened to her. Let me make it into a, let me write a picture book about it. But it was not a story. It was a concept. It was a snapshot. It was a moment in time that, oh, this is cute, but it did not have like a character arc. There was no change. There was no beginning, middle and end. There was no character agency a lot of the time. It was just huh, this is a good idea for a picture book. And you know what? I think we all have a huge list of things that are great ideas for things that really maybe are not until we sit down and try and figure out how to make them work. Oh, I, I would never confess to having a drawer full of concepts that I wrote into picture books that really are not good picture books. I, why would I confess to that? Yeah, I think that that's, oh, but you, you hit on something that was an early problem for me just now. My first novel, because I came from a poetry and short story background, and my first novel was part, it was just one of those things where I was in this class, it was a creative writing class, and we were told, oh, one of the options is to write the first chapter of a book. So I was like, okay, I want to try that. And I sat down and I wrote the first chapter and I loved it so much. I just kept writing. I kept writing. And in eight weeks, I had a middle grade novel, I thought. So, right. Which it had. So it was very imaginative. It had great characters. It 
had a story, but it didn't have character agency in the way that it needed to have character agency. There was a plot and, and things did happen, but the things were not character driven. And in the end, the character did not own her destiny in those first in that first iteration. And also, I really didn't understand the structure of a novel. And it took me a while to learn that. But of course, as soon as I was done writing that first draft, I decided to query it and send it off to try and get it published because look, I did a thing. I wrote an entire book. It was like 50,000 words. And I was so amazed and impressed with myself and it got rejected. And after it got rejected, I started to really look at it and realize I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's when I went and um, started to study more. I joined uh, SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and became very involved on that level and went to conferences and then and ultimately went out and got my master's in creative writing and learned what the structure of a novel is. But also I learned along the way that characters need to have agency and they also need to make choices and decisions and own their destiny. Things can't just happen to them. They have to make things happen. The hard part is forcing your character to own it, to make a choice. Or I, uh, one of the picture books that I wrote as an undergrad was extremely didactic. It was, I have a lesson and this is what I am going to impart upon my reader. And it had nothing to do with the child. Honestly, the story had nothing to do with the child. It was the, the author imparting their wisdom onto a story about, about a child that wasn't really about a child. And that is, I think, really hard in, in children's books is you, you want to help, you know, as adults, as parents, as people, we don't want to put them in these situations that they can't get out of themselves, but we have to, we have to, like Sid Fleischman says, put your character up a tree and throw rocks at them. Right. But the thing is, is that um, when you get a little too close, a little too hard on the nose with things, with the messaging or the ideas, and you're, you know, you're trying, it's like you're trying to shove it down somebody's throat and kids do not want to be told what to do and what to think. They want to form their own opinions. And I think it's especially important when you're writing for kids to, yes, give them good information, but allow them to make their own minds up about what the story is about and what it's really imparting. We see a lot, I know that I've seen and critiqued a lot of work where it's just, it's exactly that. It's so didactic that it's hard to bear. It's like, why don't you just write the 10 commandments of being a kid? And, you know, cause that's what you really want to impart here is you want to tell this kid how to live, how to act, how to be, how to, how to behave. And it's clear that that's what you want to impart to them, but you're not giving them examples of what could happen or consequences for actions and things like that. You're just hammering them with these lessons, you know, and just, and that's painful. Nobody really wants to be hammered with a lesson. No, not adults, certainly not children. And they see through our BS quite, 
quite easily. They know when we're trying to force something down their throats instead of telling them a story. But the the didactic, I do I do see that a lot. Or maybe not even intending to be didactic, but setting out to write a story about a theme. And because you're trying to tell a theme instead of telling a story about a character going through a journey that may involve this theme, you end up with something that's kind of, like you said, too, too on the nose. Like almost like the character is not necessary. It's this is what I want to tell you. And so I'm going to drop this child into the story and they're a tool for me to teach you this lesson. And they're interchangeable with any other child that I could have dropped into this story. And nobody wants to be a tool. <laughs> no. So, so uh, yeah, so back to early mistakes and back to what I, I mentioned earlier was um, submitting too soon, you know, not knowing when something's ready. And it's very difficult, especially when you get very excited about finishing something that you've worked really hard on and you've spent all this energy on and you just, your heart is in it and you're, you and the story become almost inextricable to some extent and you want the world to see it. You want to share it. You want to get it out there. Well, at least you waited yes. until you finished the book before you queried it. I may or may not have before being a children's book person, written a chick lit novel or maybe, you know, 50 pages or 100 pages of a chick lit novel and then thinking, hey, I don't actually have anybody to ask if this is good or not. Why don't I just, you know, submit to an agent? And I queried her and I got a response saying like, oh, this is promising. Can you send me more? No, no, I can't because I didn't actually write you anymore. So <laughs> that's a big mistake. Yeah. That's a good one. The only early feedback that I had gotten in the beginning was I was a student. So it was my teacher. And I feel like sometimes they were not looking for the same kinds of things that that maybe a critique partner or an editor would, would look for. Because, I mean, you're getting a grade, right? So it's, did you follow the assignment? Did you do what I asked you for? And... And personally, when they told me that I was doing a good job, I didn't believe them anyway. So it was like, you're just saying that because you're my teacher and you have to say nice things. I mean, I had friends that I would read things to, but they weren't writing the same thing that I was and none of us really knew what we were doing. So it was it was more, oh, that's, that's great. I like that sentence. Yeah, good commas. Things like that, not story, not story. I think I didn't even really have the first peer group that I really had was in, in grad school when I was going for my MFA. I think we've talked about this. Your MFA was, was, was the workshop based also your MA. I did a distance learning program and it was a little bit different because I would go to on location and do the colloquia, but there were only a few people doing what the program that I was doing. So it was very interesting. So it was a very small college, uh, but it was a pretty difficult, it was a challenging program, partly because they let me develop my own plan of study. And I was like, I'm going to learn all the things. And so I had 
I developed this huge plan of study with a paper due every three weeks and just all these things. Uh, but yeah, so the difference between an MFA and an MA. So you have an MFA. I do. I have an MA. My, so, and it's really the 60-40 thing. I did 60% theory and about 40% uh, actual writing. I went to Simmons. It was Simmons College at the time at Simmons University now. And ours was 50-50. And yeah, so it was, it was a lot of work because you were at the same time, you were taking, you know, a lit class and writing 63 papers a week, reading 17, 20 books (laughs) at a time, but also working on your, on your own writing. And mine was a cohort. So there was 13 of us and we did the whole program together all the way through. Shout out to my guinea pigs. We were the first ones doing that program. So we called ourselves the guinea pigs. We have even have a guinea pig illustration that somebody made for all of us. Um, but it was not all of us were doing this. We were all doing children's. It was a children's writing program. So we were definitely right. all doing children's books, but some people were doing picture books. Some people were doing middle grade. Some people were doing YA. Uh, there was some really edgy people. There were, you know, quieter things. And so you were getting feedback from each other, but it was kind of piece by piece. You know, you, mm-hmm. you would go home, you would write something, you would come back the next week, you would read, you know, a few of your pages. And it wasn't so much getting feedback on the entire, you know, your as a whole. They weren't looking at your story as a whole. Does your story work? Is there a character right. arc? Is there, it was these pages that you wrote are nice. And that's the challenge with an ongoing critique group too. So if you're working with a critique group, that's great. And I think it's important and especially to find the right critique group, but there's nothing like getting that real solid read. And I have beta readers for that. And I, I adore my beta readers. I think they're wonderful people. They're, they're very kind and generous people. They love doing it, which is nice. And they have, I have select people with certain mad skills. Uh, one who was a former auditor who finds all my consistency and continuity errors. And another one who's a retired English teacher who finds all of the gram- grammatical stuff and where the stuff just doesn't make sense. But they also are also very deep readers. And so they can see the arc. They can see what's working, what's not working, the voice, the characters, things like that. And I never send them off uh, to read anything without giving them a list of things I want them to look for. So each time I have a book that I ask beta readers to go through, there's a specific list that I'm asking from them. And it's usually the things that I know are probably the weakest in the book to begin with. Uh, Also anything else that they can, that they see that's really not working for them. I want them to point that out, but I think it's important to find your readers, but it's also important if you're doing a critique group to find the right critiquers, because like you said, if somebody just says, oh yeah, this is, this is good. I liked it. Or, oh, I didn't like these pages. That doesn't help you that you need to know why. And, and usually it's what's working and what's not working, you know, is what's resonating, what's not resonating. It's those kinds of questions, you know, what, why didn't you like it? It really comes back to that. And, and I think it's important to find people who have the guts to tell you what they, 
like or don't like about something and why it's working and why it's not working and the ability to see deeper into a story. And I think that's why we coach, right? I mean, because we can do that for people. We, I mean, we do this, we live this, we kind of eat and sleep this. So, you know, we can do that for somebody with their book. We can do a developmental edit or a manuscript evaluation or even work on an outline with somebody and help them to see what's working and what's not working. I think that's really important. And we can see it from a kidlet kind of perspective too, because boy, we do a lot of kidlet, right? It's all I do. I will tell you when I'm on my uh, friends of the library board and when every month we talk about, you know, what book we're reading and, you know, they're all talking about whatever this bestseller that everybody's reading. And I'm like, I read Sal and Gabby break the universe. <laughs> and they're like, what's that? Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a middle grade book. <laughs> right. So, so Christy, I know we talked about leaving at the end of each episode, having an actionable item that we will leave the listeners with. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about what would be an actionable item to leave our uh, listeners with from this episode that talks about when you're starting out, what things can you do to not make the same mistakes that we and other people have made along the way? Uh, Read. Definitely read the book that you think you read books like the one that you think you are writing because you might think that you have the greatest middle grade mystery until you have actually read a middle grade mystery and realize that you are not even close that you haven't hit any of the right beats that you haven't laid out (laughs) the clues the way that you're going to or whatever it is. I know a lot of people feel like they shouldn't read when they're writing because it will influence them too much. But I think you you really need to, st- I mean, in my MFA, I'm not kidding you when I'm telling you that we were reading sometimes 10 to 15 books a, a, a week. It was, thank goodness, it was an hour and 10 minutes away from my house and I could listen to audiobooks on the way there and back because there's no way that I would have been able to read so many. But you you have to, you have to read as many as you can so that you really internalize the way that things are supposed to work and the way that that yours may not work or what you are know that your strengths are and is that something that you can you know I am a dialogue I I think (laughs) I'm a dialogue person I am not the descriptions and stuff that does not come first to me my first drafts are talking heads so but is my dialogue what uh, authentic to what children would say So, I mean, you have to, I'm giving you like 27 actionable items here. Really just read, just read first and figure out. I think I'm writing a YA uh, romance, a contemporary YA romance, then go out and get your Sarah Dessens and your Casey West and, and read a bunch of those and see that, okay, these are the things. And, and even I, one of the great things that, that we did was Write the names of the chapters if you're writing a, a lower, you know, just go through books that are are already published and you know are good and write down the names of all the chapters and see like, how are they doing that? Write down how many chapters a book has. How long are the chapters? Are they all consistent? 
do you see a pattern in the books? Do they all have 20 chapters? Do they all have 10? Does it vary? So that you can kind of know what you're getting yourself into before you sit down and start writing, because there is nothing worse than spending a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years on the same project, because it's just not working and you don't know why. Okay, I'm going to add, I'm going to add a little bit to that, not just read, read widely, read deeply, and look at how it's back to what you were talking about with you know, what's in a chapter, what's in a scene, what, you know, how are they put together? How are they structured? But also think in terms of if you're engaged with the book, if, if, if you're really into the book, what is it that that author is doing really well to make you feel that connected to the story? What is it that they're effectively doing? And read it a couple times if you need to. And if you pick up a book, you know, this is my anti-mentor text talk. If you pick up a book and you just, it's a whole, if you just don't like it, there's just doesn't work for you. Why not? And don't do that. So when you're writing your book, whatever it is that is a turnoff for you in that book, don't do that. So it's, it goes back to if we were painters, if we were trying to paint, we would study the masters. We would study how they, their brush strokes and how they mixed color and, and how they used light and form and, and how they put their images together. We would study that and we would study that very deeply. The same can be done for writing. Writing is an art form. It's a skill. It can be learned. It can be learned. Uh, you can learn to do it really well. Uh, but you've got to, you know, go out and study the works that resonate with you, the ones and, you know, and also to your point, don't just read the older books, the classics. You got to read current. You got to read on what's trending. You've got to read the award winners now. What's out there today that's current that contemporary writers are putting out? It's good to know the classics, but that's not what's selling on the market necessarily today. In the in kidlet so yeah well yeah there's your velveteen rabbit and things like that those are always going to sell but those are going to sell because the parents loved them so they picked them up for their kids and then the grandparents pick them up for their kids and so on and so forth some of those are classics for a reason and yes study the story but you got to know what's out there now you got to know what's being published what the trends are now because the trends change and especially in kidlet i I know in fiction, but especially in the kid lit market, things change constantly. They're always changing and always evolving. So those, I think, I think that our actionable item for this episode is read, read well and deeply and use the books that you're reading as mentor texts to help you understand what it is you're trying to do so you can do it well. Yes. Now, I saw something on Instagram that I loved, but also kills me. It was somebody, people who, who studied the books so much that they have sticky notes, like every page has, you know, five sticky notes and, and different colored highlighters for, you know, this is a voice that I like, this is dialogue that I like, I like this description. And the book is so fat by the end from all of the notes and it looked so amazing, but at the same time, I cannot bring myself to write in I'm so bad. I cannot write in my books like that. I can't. I will do it on my eBooks and I will mark them up, but on a physical book, I have a really hard time unless it's a craft book. 
<laughs> writing and ruining to me. I write all over my, so. yeah, I write all over my craft books. So, um, yeah. So yeah. that was, I thought that was really interesting and that might be a way um, to, to get into it. Thanks for hanging out. And thank you everyone who's listening for hanging out with us. Coaching Kid Lit podcast with Christy Yaros, book coach and Sharon Skinner, book coach. We're happy to be here and we hope to see you on our next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Coaching Kidlet, a writing and book coaching podcast for writers who want to level up their Kidlet writing game. For more about us and to discover what a book coach can do for you, check out coachingkidlet.com and follow us on social media. 